You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. So one of the, the funnier, unexpected things that has happened over these last 37 years, at least from my perspective, because it involved me, uh, was several years ago, uh, we were in the Boonville Christmas Parade. And I had seen an advertisement for a suit that looked like an ugly Christmas sweater. And I was like, I've got to have that suit. And I wore that in the parade. I'd never seen one of those uh, before, and I don't think at that point many people had seen them. And so while we were at the parade, lots of people were talking to us, and it got a lot of attention and got tagged in a lot of Facebook photos. But the real unexpected surprising thing was the very next morning, I woke up and Kelly Helms had tagged me in a Facebook picture of her Courier and Press. And there on the front page of the Courier and Press was our parade float and me in that Christmas sweater suit. And uh, if you ever want to be famous, it's probably not wearing that. Get up. The following Sunday, though, a lady came and visited our church. And when she visited, she checked in on Facebook. And one of her friends commented on that check-in. We saw it because she checked into our page. We saw that she checked in, and her friend commented, isn't that the church that the guy was wearing that crazy suit in the parade? And she responded, yeah, it's that church. Later that year, I preached a message entitled, we are that church. And the emphasis of it was that we want to be so involved in our community, so involved in the brokenness that's all around us, so involved in the lives of families at Channel Elementary School, that when people say, hey, isn't that the church that did X, Y, or Z? That people could say, yeah, it's that church. But then I was preaching on Matthew 16, and in that passage, Jesus says, Peter, you are the rock, and you have given the the foundational truth that I am the Messiah, I am the Son of God, and on this rock, I will build my church. And what I told the congregation is, yeah, we want to be that church that's known for doing these things in the community. But more importantly, we want to be that church that's known for preaching the message, that's founded upon the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. And much to my surprise, in the weeks following, that phrase, we are that church, got repeated all of the time. Often after someone did something a little embarrassing, um, people would say, well, we are that church. And it kind of became this punchline, this idea that stuck. And so we had t-shirts made that had this graphic on it, said, we are that church. And that kind of became a catchphrase, an idea that stuck around here. A couple of years later, on anniversary Sunday in 2017, I showed a picture of the original core group, the group of people that founded New Life Free Will Baptist Church in Newburgh and then eventually merged with Faith Temple Baptist here in Chandler that formed Faith Free Will. And I talked about the, the steps that they had taken, the sacrifices they had made, the way that they had been generous, and how that established the church, not the building, but the gathering of people that you and I get to be a part of today. And after going over those, those aspects of their character that I also saw in the disciples, I said, I want to invite you to be in the new core group to follow the example of the original core group and build the church that our friends and neighbors will join and that our children will lead. 
And in the weeks that followed, I heard that phrase, the new core group. People repeating it. That idea had stuck. That analogy was one that people had grabbed a hold of. And it's fitting that I mention these because it's Anniversary Sunday and they're a part of our culture and our history. But it's also fitting because Jesus used a similar idea or analogy or phrase in this passage of Scripture with the disciples. He's giving them his farewell speech. He's saying goodbye. He's about to be arrested in the coming hours. He'll be tried in a mock trial. He'll be executed. He'll die. Then he'll raise again. But Jesus is having his final moments before all of that happens. And Jesus gives them hope or encouragement by using this phrase or analogy that pops up again and again in Scripture. The picture that Jesus paints here we see in prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah and Micah. And so let's look at that together. Start in verse 20 with me. Verily, verily, I say unto you, you shall weep and lament. It's not good news. And the world shall rejoice. So while you're crying, the world is pardoning. You shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. And Jesus has been talking to the disciples about this for some time. He's talking about how life is going to be difficult, that it's going to be hard, that as they start the church, they're going to face opposition and persecution. All of these men that he's talking to, with the exception of John, would be killed for their stand in the faith. John, the lone survivor, would be exiled to an island. And there he would write some of the letters in the book of Revelation that we're studying on Wednesday night. But Jesus is saying, listen, I know that there's bad news, but you can have joy in the face of this bad news. He says, let me, let me give you an example. Look at verse 21. A woman, when she is in travail or labor, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. And you, therefore, now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man shall take from you. This is an exciting year because, as in previous years, it's another year where we get to have a little bit of a baby boom here in our church. We've had one baby born recently, two that we're expecting in the end of this year. And when we heard the news about each of those children that were expected we were excited. When people announced, I'm having a baby, we didn't go, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's going to be really hard. And we, we know that it's going to be difficult, and we know that there are months of difficulty. And I know I got a couple witnesses in the sanctuary this morning in the final stretch of their pregnancy and the labor that's coming. That will be challenging. There's joy because through that challenge, through that adversity, through that pain, that labor, a child is born. And what Jesus says here, you know, some, some people use visual illustrations. Thank you, Spencer, for the help this morning. Appreciate that. That's right. 
be a good moment for me to mention that we do have a family worship room. You can <laughs> watch the service with live video and audio of the service. By the way, I, I try to say this regularly. If I haven't said it in a while, I apologize. We love that sound. Uh, we're thankful for the, the sound of children running up and down our hallway, the, ch- the sound of, of children crying. Why? Because of what Jesus is saying here. Because of the joy that comes. The joy that comes along with that, that sorrow. The joy that comes along with that, that difficulty, that travail. And the idea that Jesus is telling the disciples, it's one that the prophets in the Old Testament spoke of when Israel was going through these horrible adversities, when they were conquered, when they were carried away as exiles, when they were surrounded by their enemies. God would say, you are in the midst of travail, but there is coming a child. Jesus was that child. He was the hope. He was the expectation that they were looking for. And it's so powerful that Jesus says in verse 21 that as soon as she's delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish. Now, I know a couple moms who definitely remember the anguish and remind their children of that anguish. What Jesus is saying, he's not saying that their memory is wiped clean, that they have no recollection of it, but rather what he's saying, in contrast to the joy that they have in welcoming that child, the pain and the sorrow is as nothing. That song that we sang to open the the service that Abby opened us up with, led us in until then, was written by a man named Stuart Hamblin. Stuart Hamblin was a country music singer a horse racer, a cowboy. And he started a country music radio show in Dallas, Texas, and it became so popular that he then moved to Hollywood and his radio show gained national attention and became syndicated. In 1949, a local evangelist was holding a tent revival and he had the evangelist come on his show to interview him. That evangelist named Billy Graham holding his crusade in L.A. invited Hamblin to come to the meeting. And Hamblin on air said, sure, I'll be there. But later, Hamblin's wife held him to that commitment. He went to the crusade, and he put his faith in Jesus. His life was transformed. He continued to do his country music radio show there in Hollywood, but some advertisers came that wanted him to record a spot selling alcohol. Because Christ had worked powerfully in his life and alcohol had been a part of his path, he could not in good conscience record those ads. I told him, I can't do it. The advertising companies put pressure on the radio station. The radio station put pressure on Hamblin, and he said, I can't, I won't. And he lost his nationally syndicated country music radio. And then he wrote, My heart rejoices when I pause to remember. A sorrow here is just a step away. He didn't write that in some trite way. He had experienced great loss, great difficulty. This thing that he had built, this thing that had become synonymous with his identity, he loses it, and yet he is still joyful, still singing God's praises. Why? Because in light of the anguish and persecution and adversity of this life, there is joy. And that's what Jesus is talking about to the disciples. You will have sorrow, but your joy, no man can take from you. That's what Jesus says to the disciples. 
you will have adversity, but the joy that you have, no one can take from you, no matter what they do to you, even if they take your country music radio show. No man can take that joy from you. What Jesus is pointing out is that there will be suffering in the short term, but in the long term, in the eternal sense, there's this ongoing forever joy. When I was looking through old photos to, to use in that video that we put together with Carrie and Tammy, I was going through some of our old church photos, and I was just amazed at how many photos I found of baptisms. Brother Helms baptizing in Newburgh. Baptism services at Camp Brosin from the mission days. Baptisms here in this baptistry. Baptisms in the pond in front of Tabor Corvette Park here in Chandler. And those moments, those celebrations, those lives, that transformation, that goes on. Right now, there is a young man who is leading worship, helping lead worship at a church in downtown Evansville that we ministered to in the jail. And then he went to prison and he got into a truly strong discipleship program. And there in that discipleship program, they had him up in front of the inmates leading worship. And now he's helping lead worship at a church in Evansville. That, that was a part of what God was doing here. Right now in one of the churches in Evansville, there's a youth pastor who came through our Christian school that people here had an influence on. Right now, there are people serving in churches across the nation who went through faith Christian school or grew up in this church. And so much of what we need to celebrate today, we can't see. And I can't put into a video or into a photo. But there, we'll be able to see it all. The difference that's been made the lives transformed, the seeds planted that were harvested elsewhere. There's so much to celebrate. And so Jesus is saying these things to the disciples and he gives them these promises that, that he is with them. Like we sang in oceans, I am yours and you are mine. Jesus is saying, listen, this connection, this bond we have, nothing can take that from us. And the disciples are excited. I mean, it's clicking. They're getting it. And they respond to Jesus in verses 29 and 30. Look at those. His disciples said unto him, Lo, now you're speaking plainly, and you speak no proverbs. Now we are sure that thou knowest all things, and needest not that any man should ask thee. By this we believe that thou camest forth from God. You know what they're saying? We get it, Jesus. We're with you, Jesus. We understand, Jesus. And verse 31 is hilarious. Because Jesus goes, Really? Do you now believe? These guys have been with Jesus for three and a half years. He's been telling them these things, and suddenly they're like, yeah, we believe Jesus. We get it. And Jesus said, don't be so sure. What does he say in verse 32? Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, because the Father is with me. You know what Jesus is saying? He's like, guys, in an hour, you're all going to run. And when Jesus is arrested, that's exactly what they do. They all scatter and they go into hiding. These disciples are saying, yeah, we're pumped. We're excited. We're with you. We get it. Now you're, you're speaking clearly, Jesus. Jesus goes, in an hour, you're going to be running for the hills. The truth is that you and I were easily discouraged. And we're easily distracted. We're easily scattered. 
verse 32. Jesus says that, verse 33. These things I've spoken unto you that you might have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. It's going to be hard. There will be difficulties. But I've spoken these words to you that you might have peace. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You know, over the last 37 years, there have been a lot of wins, a lot of victories. also been a lot of heartache, a lot of disappointment, a lot of sorrow, a lot of goodbyes that came way too early that make no sense. People that we lost too soon. And on Anniversary Sunday, we're, we're here to, to highlight the, the, the good that God has done and His faithfulness, but we would be remiss if we acted like everything for the last 40 years has been bubblegum, because it hasn't been. There have been those hardships, been those challenges. But the peace that Jesus offers us is not just a peace for good times. It's a peace that's strong enough for the worst of times. And that's the reason that Jesus says, you will be scattered, but I have said these things to you that you might have peace and be of good cheer. How is that possible? How can we possibly be of good cheer in the midst of everything that is going on? How can we have joy when there are so many challenges that face us in this day and age? How can we have joy when it seems like all around us it is more difficult to engage our culture with the gospel? How can we have joy when it seems like it's harder and harder and harder? How can we have joy? Because Jesus has overcome the world. And do you notice the tense that Jesus speaks in? It is not the present tense. Jesus does not say, I am overcoming the world. Jesus does not say, I'm going to overcome the world. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. You know what Jesus is saying? Be of good cheer. We've already won. The victory has been won. And while the skirmishes here in life and on earth, while the adversities might come and go, while there's hills and valleys, peaks and mountaintops and the depths of valleys, while all of that comes and goes, the victory's already been won. I have overcome the world. He gave us a kind of a foreshadowing of this in verse 11 where he says the prince of this world is now judged. Because by Jesus going to the cross... He takes the only weapon that Satan has, our accusations. And by taking the punishment for our sins, there is no longer any power in the accusation of Satan. There's no charges that he can level against us when we are covered in God's grace. It doesn't matter what this world does to us. It doesn't matter what this world says about us. It doesn't matter what we face or what we go through when we are covered in his grace. Satan has no weapon to form against us. Because he has taken away his accusations. The prince of this world has been judged, and he has overcome the world. And the word that Jesus uses for overcome is the same word that you would use if you conquered a city or you conquered a nation in war. It means victory. It means conquering. It means victory in Jesus. That's what it means. You know what this is like? What we're doing? You ever watch a football game and one team's just getting blown out of the water? 
at the very end, when the clock runs out, one team scores a touchdown. It doesn't matter which one. It could be the team that's ahead or the team that's down, but it doesn't really matter that they scored a touchdown because the score is so lopsided. And even though the clock ran out before that touchdown was scored, the game isn't over. Because whenever a touchdown is scored, there has to be a try for an extra point. And there have been many moments where somebody's just getting blown out of the water and they've got to go back. Even, even though the clock is at triple zero, they've got to go back on the field for one final play. And the kicker is going to kick a field goal. And you know what? It doesn't really matter if he kicks it or not. The team's won. But he's going to try, isn't he? He's going to do his best. Jesus says, I have won. You and I, we're on the field, and we've got a job to do. We've got a calling to fulfill. But he's already won the game. He's already conquered the evil one. He's taken away his only weapon against us. There's a really good story that John tells us early on that we covered in John chapter 4. The people bring this woman to Jesus who's been caught in sin. She's been caught in the act of adultery. They emphasize that fact. And the reason that they're bringing her to Jesus is because, according to the law, she should be stoned. And what they want to do is they want to either peg Jesus as a flaming liberal or a harsh conservative. If Jesus says, no, don't stone her, they'll say, look how liberal Jesus is. He doesn't respect our laws. If Jesus says, yeah, you should stone her, they'll say, look how horribly cruel Jesus is. Some of the politics that go on today, they're old tricks. That's what they're doing. So they bring this woman before Jesus, and Jesus doesn't answer them. Instead, he just writes in the dirt. And the tension builds. People say, are you you going to say anything? And Jesus looks up and he says, whoever among you is without sin cast the first stone. And he goes back to drawing in the dirt. And all of these men who are there with stones in their hand ready to kill this woman, they begin to one by one drop their stones and walk away. And after the last one is gone, Jesus looks up from his doodling in the dirt and he says to the woman, where hast thou thine accusers gone? She says, there's none left, Lord. When Jesus died on the cross, he took the power of accusation away. And there's none left to accuse us. There's no one that can throw a stone at us. Satan cannot throw any rocks at us because Christ has taken away the power of his accusation. He has turned the judgment on Satan. Now is the prince of this world judged. I have overcome the world. The victory has been won. The war is over. Be of good cheer. You will have tribulation. There will be difficulties. But the war is already won. Game over. We win. I don't know what the next 37 years will hold. But I know that Jesus has won. He has the victory. And when we are covered in his grace, no one can throw a stone at us, as much as they'd like to. Would you bow your heads with me?